0: Good morning. Welcome to our show. Today we'll chat about the Nelson Cruz trade with Eric Neander, Brian Anderson, and ESPN's Marley Rivera. We'll chat with Taylor Walls about playing in his home state last week. This was before he was optioned yesterday. Prospect Ruben Cardenas will discuss his success this year and much more. Well, we continue on This Week in Race Baseball, and joining us this week is a guy who had his homecoming uh, last weekend, and that's Taylor Walls. Taylor, what did that all mean to you? I mean, you've had a lot of good moments in the last several months, but how much did it mean to play in Atlanta?
1: It meant a lot. That's, you know, the one ballpark to where when I did go to baseball games growing up, that was where we always went. Or, you know, later at night, whenever we wanted to try to watch baseball on TV, they were the local channel. And uh, they were just kind of the home team from where I grew up, and, you know, that's just the ballpark everybody went to to so to finally be able to go back to a ballpark like that where everybody is you know able to come watch me and support me it meant a lot
2: how
0: often did you go to major league games uh in atlanta when you were a kid and what's your first real memory you may not remember your first game but your first game that something stuck out to you
1: i wouldn't say i went a lot i I would probably go like maybe once a year once every two years or so I really didn't watch too, too much baseball. I felt like I was always busy playing it or, you know, playing another sport. I guess the the earliest memory I have is is really not a specific baseball memory, but it's just the earliest memory I remember of being at, you know, a Braves game. It was actually in Turner Field. My uh, grandpa took me and my brother to a game, and I just remembered, you know, sitting right behind, I think it was the third base dugout, which would have been the away team at that stadium. I just you know, remember sitting in the sands pretty close to him and, and watching the ball game. That's probably the earliest memory. I don't I'd have to say I was probably about six years old. I was pretty young. At what age did you say I want to be a big leaguer? I think that was the goal always growing up. I don't think it was ever I sat down and just thought I wanna be a big leaguer, but I think, you know, throughout the years of, of playing and realizing the passion that I had for the game and that I was also pretty talented at it, I feel like it was just one of those things that just kinda of became clear to me that this is the goal that I'm going for. And then, you know, of course, once I get older and, and I can, you can start seeing, you know, light at the end of the tunnel or, you know, the, the opportunity or chance may present itself, then that's when things start getting a little more real and stuff like that. But I've always prepared and had the work ethic as if this was going to be the, the goal for me, you know, from the start.
0: Were there ever any other sports that had a chance against baseball for you, or was it always baseball number one and everything else was
1: secondary? Baseball was always number one. I would have sports that you know, would come into my, like, whether it was basketball or whether, what I, I played multiple sports, pr- probably almost every sport there is, I feel like a little bit. But it, I feel like those sports were always, like, just hobbies. Like, I feel like they were things to maybe get my mind off of baseball or something to do in the off season. So my parents were like, you don't need to be playing all year round. Like, you need to just take a break for two months. And so I was like, okay, I'll play basketball for two months. I mean, b- baseball was always the front runner. It was always the, the thing that I knew that I was probably the best at compared to my competition and so that was always prioritized
0: and you always have been a pretty competitive person right from the moment you can remember where where does that come from who in your family is real competitive like you
1: honestly I think everybody my dad was an athlete growing up my mom as well and then of course having my brother two and a half years younger than me we always competed with everything I always just wanted to beat him sounds terrible as a big brother but I always wanted to beat him in everything we do and and so I mean I just feel like at an early age I don't know what it was, but just something about winning I loved. Like, I loved loved competing, seeing other people lose. Like, it's just, I mean, all those things adding up to me just made winning so much better. And I felt like I just got addicted to it at a young age, and now it's something that I've carried over into. Now, is your wife,
0: uh, Haley, is she as competitive as you? And, And is there anything you ever let up on even with her?
1: She is just as competitive as me, but she's a lot more disciplined than I am. She's very good at shutting off her competitive side. Like me, I can't, for some reason, I can't control it. I'm going to be competitive, and that's just kind of how I am. But she's, when she starts seeing me and her competing with each other, she's like, nope, I don't care anymore. Don't talk to me. We'll give it ten minutes, and then we're we're perfectly fine after that. We've learned what sports we can play and what sports we can't play together. What you know, she hates when I try to help her or teach her something because she feels like I'm lecturing her, and she can do it on her own. So she's definitely just as competitive as I am. It's good to see because I mean, I, I wouldn't want her to not be competitive.
0: You guys have had, you know, some several months. I mean, your big league, debut, the trip to Georgia, and your daughter, Sutton Grace, is what now? Almost three months.
1: Yeah, yeah, she's getting big too. It was very exciting. Such life changing events that happen all within the span of a month or two. It was incredible. It was very fast. Just tried to slow it down as much as possible, honestly. I'm glad I got an experience with Hallie and she got to go everywhere with me, and I was able to be with her during everything as well. I mean, it was happy. It's, it's something that we'll never forget having Sutton, and then also being called up here, then being able to travel some and and go to away games. I'm fortunate enough that, you know, it happened this year, not last year, so she could experience all this stuff with me for the first time. So um, it's very cool, and some memories will hold close with each other.
0: What's the best part now about being a dad for the first time? And do you get any extra sleep now? Is she finally sleeping through the night?
1: Yeah, she actually, she's been sleeping pretty good. She has her nights, but for the most part, she's been sleeping pretty well. I don't know. I think it's just being able to just lay down have her lay on my chest and go to sleep like i don't i mean it's just comforting to have her there knowing that somehow me and my wife made this human yeah it's just it's crazy to think that 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 it happens but it's awesome i mean whether it's just looking at her while and she's smiling like right after i change her diaper for some reason she always smiles and gets real happy or hearing her like feeling like she's trying to say something to you but not yet knowing what it is and so it's just seeing her raw emotion come out is awesome. And, and knowing that, you know, me and Hallie are the parents to her and that we're, you know, we're the ones that provide for and take care of her is special.
0: It's obviously family is really, really important to you. What did, since you grew up in what, Cordell, Georgia, Now you know you're proud of that. What do you remember or what, what stands out to you about Cordell and kind of helped make you the person you are now?
1: I think really it's just supportive community. Being from a small town is awesome because You know, when something happens, everybody knows about it. I guess that could be good and bad, but for the position I'm in now, I feel like everybody has my back, everybody's supporting me. It's just like going to the Atlanta series this past weekend. I mean, I just had so many people that I knew were there and also people that I didn't know were coming that I saw, you know, came through social media or something. And just to know that that many people came and supported me is unreal i mean i feel like if i was from somewhere at like a bigger if i was actually from atlanta or somebody like that i feel like the support that i had this weekend would have it wouldn't have been near as you know big as what it was having something small like that to where everyone knows everyone everyone supports everybody and have you know seeing that many people come out and have my back like that it was pretty special
0: i did my research so it's cordell's like the watermelon capital of the world right, right. do you have to is it sweeter there is it that much better i mean do you go to other states and like this is
1: not i've honest i honestly don't know exactly the the reasoning behind why it's being called the watermelon capital of the world but i do know in the summertime you're going to see a lot of school buses with no roofs on them you're going to see people out in watermelon fields throwing watermelons onto them so and almost every field is filled with watermelon so i guess it's just you know how many watermelons are being grown there in that one period of time so it's but watermelon i mean they got all kinds of them actually one of my good friends grows them they brought me like four different kinds of them i remember last year all you know some seedless some like smaller than others supposed to be sweeter so i don't know they do a good job with it but you're not going to miss a watermelon field when you're riding through Cordell in the summertime that's for sure
0: again we're chatting with taylor wilson this week in race baseball what's been the best moment so far in the big leagues and what has surprised you if anything so far in your first couple months up
1: honestly the best moment for me is just so far it's probably been my debut my debut or like this past weekend just going out there doing what I've done I felt like my whole life but then having the support of all the close friends and family my wife everybody being able to make it on the field wise I mean the, my home run was pretty special I felt good I mean every time I feel like I make a good defensive play it feels good Really just seeing my, you know, fruits come into play from all the hard work that I put in to, you know, seeing some of that come to light whenever I do something well or the team, you know, help the team out and whether it's a sacrifice fly or getting a runner over and and the team wins. So, I mean, so far that's just been, that's been it, winning and having people there that have supported me my whole life.
0: I was going to touch on that because it seems to me that had you not won in your debut or had the team not won two out of three in Atlanta, it probably wouldn't have tasted that much sweeter to you that's kind of the person you are
1: yeah 100 percent. i mean it's good to have people support me there but the main reason you know like if i didn't do well at the plate or our team didn't win if we didn't come back friday night and win the game like i don't care who's there i'm going to be frustrated and mad regardless so i mean the, the competitiveness in me always you know overrides everything else but it is nice to have all those people that come and support me so what do you do to tone it down off the field? I mean, or
0: is it off-season fishing and hunting that helps you relax? What are things you do so that you're not baseball 24-7 or does just having Sutton help with that?
1: I mean, outside of baseball, I have – it's funny because my wife said something to me last night about it. Like, you can't, not, you can't not be doing anything. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, you always have to do something. I don't know why it is, but it's very true. Like, if I'm – whether it's, like, looking up chess videos, like because we've been playing chess for the past week – if I'm not doing that, I'm trying to play cards. If I'm not trying to play cards, I'm playing video games. If I'm not playing video games, I'm wanting to go throw the ball with my dog or do something with Sutton. It's like I can't sit down and be still. I'm always wanting to go do something, wanting to work at something or compete at something or just be active in some way. And she was telling me that last night. You need to just – i do not it just drives me nuts how you just can't sit still and not do anything. Like just lay down and, and just sit there, watch TV. And I'm like, I can't do that.
0: You've also invested in yourself too, and I think that's pretty rare for someone as young as you. The fact that you went out to Montgomery, spent what six weeks in an apartment working with Dan DeMent on everything, every part of your game. How much do you think that's helped you this year?
1: A lot. I could see the work that we you know were able to accomplish last summer at the alternate site. I you know just from seeing the strides I made there, I knew that was really the only option for me this off Was when it got time to start bearing down and getting ready for spring training, that's where I was going to end up. Luckily, there were uh, the high school there was very generous and let me use their fields for ground balls. Dan was there, you know, every day that I needed him to throw BBP. So it worked out well. I think the work that we did there was very focused. I still think there is a lot of work that I needed that needs to be done. I'm not satisfied by any means with what I've done so far since I've been here. I think there's a lot of improvement that needs to be made, and me and Dan have those talks consistently. We're, we're right there, and me and Motor as well. We all have a loop to where we all are intertwined. We know what needs to happen, the foundation we need to start building, and how we can start progressing. So uh, it's probably a trip that I'll end up making again this off season.
0: I was going to ask you, where do you want to grow the most?
1: And you kind of said you're looking forward. So where do you want to grow the most? Physically, is just putting my body in a good position to be able to go whenever I'm, you know, whenever it's time to go, go. I, I feel like being a switch hitter is tough because your body from one side of the plate versus the other responds so different. You have to reverse the muscles to work a, di- a different way and sometimes the sequence of moves just don't align up the same way they would right-handed versus left-handed so i feel like it's finding the right things that work routinely left-handed versus right-handed to try to get myself in a consistent spot every day um, i feel like there's a lot at bats since i've been here that i've maybe give- given away or not really given my a effort on because I'm in a completely different hitting position, one at bat versus the other, one pitch versus the next pitch. And I feel like just finding the right positioning to allow my body to be able to, to you know, sequence itself right and get my A swing off every pitch, I feel like that will help me. Because I feel like my approach is very mature, I feel like it plays at this level, um, I adjust very well you know, depending on the pitcher, who comes in and what they throw. So I, I think my approach is, is, is good, and I'll continue to improve that as well. But I feel like as long as I can start building a foundation now to start improving that, you know, that physical positioning that I'm in left and right-handed, that'll help me.
0: Based on your competitiveness and your work ethic, I'm sure you're on the right path. Thanks for a few minutes on This Week in Race Baseball. Yeah, anytime. Thank you. It's Taylor Walls. We'll continue right after this. You're listening to the Race Baseball Network. Neil Solon's with you on This Week in Rays Baseball. Time now to take a look at the week gone by. Joining us, Brian Anderson of Bally Sports Sun. B.A., thanks very much for a few minutes.
3: Hey, Neil, thanks for having me, bro. I'm sorry.
0: No worries. Hey, your reaction initially when this trade happened, and are you still kind of on cloud nine that the Rays actually got Nelson Cruz?
3: Uh, You know what? I, I am. I, I, was, I was shocked because, you know, it, how often do you see coming up to the trade de- deadline all the national pundits? They link teams with, with big big name players, big time trades, and those really never seem to you know come to fruition. It's almost like clickbait. You know, click on here, and we've got the Rays. You know, trying to get Nelson Cruz and so on and so forth. Um, and you never really think that it's going to happen. Uh, but again, you know, with with the Rays, as soon as you think you've got them figured out you realize that, that you don't. And so for them to be able to go out there and, uh, and pick up Nelson Cruz, I thought that that absolutely sent shockwaves, not only across the American League and the American League East in particular, but baseball in general. And it's a clear signal that Eric Neander and his group have told Kevin Cash and his team, we are going for it. You know, th- This isn't an ancillary move to improve a team, to try to tighten up a, a weakness Um, And, and, you know, maybe that helps us out come October. This is we are going right now, as of now, we're going to get an impact bat, a rental, because we are going for it. And I think that that excitement not only permeates our booth, the fans, the fans at home, the fans that come to Tropicana Field, but it permeates the team. I think that you've seen them play with a little bit more energy. Um, Not that they weren't playing bad ball. They've been playing very good ball for the last couple of weeks. But they're playing with a renewed energy because they realize, boy, we are good, we are deep, and our organization has told us that they are going for it. And that will light up a clubhouse uh, quicker than anything.
0: And we've heard that from the players, and we're going to hear from Eric Neander in in, uh, a few minutes. Tell me this, does he help more with his bat or does he help more in the clubhouse a la a Cliff Floyd and Eric Kinski where you got to see firsthand in front of you in 2008?
3: Yeah, you know what? I think he's going to help more with his, his bat for sure. I, I, I think that that's absolutely first and foremost. Everything that comes after that is just icing on the cake. And the, and the thing about it is, is you're bringing a guy like Nelson Cruz who, you know, teammates, coaches – people that he has been around in this game uh, speak so highly of him, not just as a player, obviously, but as a high character guy, you know, uh, values um, work ethic, all of the above. Uh, But guess what? He's joining a team that has a culture of that already. I mean, the Rays are a pretty buttoned up group. Um, There's a, the work ethic is, is excellent. A lot of high character guys. So he fits into that clubhouse. I, I just seamlessly. I, number one, uh, but what he can do is impart his knowledge, his experience. Um, a lot of you know, he, a steadying force. He's going to obviously help out that lineup. But I think the first thing is the bat. But but by no means is his, his influence in the clubhouse minimized at all because that's going to be huge too. But but he's coming to a team you know already that has that kind of taken care of.
0: How much does it help? Put your pitcher's hat on. How much does it help a starting pitcher, the The confidence now in this lineup? It was good before. This makes it kind of next level in terms of your, your margin for error.
3: You know, it's so funny, Neil, that you asked that because I just did some things for the Indians talking about when I was pitching on the 96 and 97 team, and they had a similar question. What was it like to go out there and pitch with that lineup behind you? And I, I, I'm telling you, it, it really bolsters your confidence level because you realize you don't have to be perfect. And by the way, trying to pitch and be perfect is a losing proposition in and of itself. But it, mm-hmm. it, it keeps you away from that, and it allows you to go out there and compete, uh, do the things that you need to do to win, but you're not going to get discouraged if you give up a run or two or three early because you realize that you've got some thought behind you that can that can bail you out, and so it allows you to just to go out and compete free and easy, uh, especially in your mind. And then you know, and let let the chips fall where they may. But there's no question that not only the lineup too, because the Rays, um, you know, solidifying this lineup that's certainly going to help. But we also know that they put a premium on defense, so you know you've got guys behind you that are going to catch the ball. Oh, and now all of a sudden your lineup is a little bit thicker and a little bit more dangerous, and that makes the pitcher feel mighty good when he's taking them out.
0: B.A., we got a little bit over a minute. Tell me this, from a confidence standpoint, as a hitter, what does this do for the younger players on the roster, the Francos, the Rosarinas? How much pressure does it alleviate to help them perform going forward?
3: Well, I, I think that that's what I was going to say. It, it alleviates some of the pressure. And, and just think about this, and, and, and I'll, be, I'll be very quick. Wander Franco gets called to the big leagues, and all of a sudden, he's the switch-hitting superstar, 20-year-old, shortstop, third baseman, hyped prospect that's hitting in, in the two or three hole. Well, now all of a sudden, you bring in Nelson Cruz and Wander Franco now hitting in the six hole. So you, you move him down a little bit. You take some of the pressure off. You're not up in the first inning. You're not, you know, at the beginning of the lineup, you can kind of relax down in that sixth hole. Not saying that he won't continue to put pressure on himself to perform. But as far as the lineup goes, that example shows you what it does for the young guys.
0: B.A., it makes for a really exciting final 63 games of the regular season, final week of the trading deadline, and certainly a lot more fun to come. Should be a a real good stretch, and we appreciate a few minutes on this week in Race Baseball.
3: Anytime. I appreciate it, Neil. I'm fired up like you are.
0: B.A., thank you. That's Brian Anderson of Bally Sports Sun. Before we continue on This Week in Rays Baseball, why don't we pause for station identification on the Rays Baseball Network.
3: WTAE St. Petersburg.
0: W-237 CW Park. hd 3 Clearwater. W-224-B-E Brandon. And iHeart Radio Station. We continue on This Week in Rays Baseball, and we take a look at the trading deadline approaching and the big moves the Rays have made with Eric Neander. And, Eric... Is this the biggest move that the Rays have made in terms of an addition before the deadline with Nelson Cruz on board?
4: Yeah, I, I think so. This time of year, certainly, we've time will tell if it's the most impactful move we've made. You know, you, the Nick Anderson acquisition and in '19, typically around the deadline, we've when our club's been in contention for a postseason opportunity, we've we've done more work at the margins, we've done more work uh, bringing in players that are more store brand than name brand, so to speak. This is one that certainly is, is name brand. And I think the right the right player, the right time, the right fit at, at the right price. And, and just felt like this is one where, you know, you weren't just paying for the name. You were paying for so much more than that. And the anticipated production moving forward was as good as we were able to find out there. And we're happy to have them. We're excited to see how it plays out. And like I said, time will tell if this is the biggest, but certainly at the time, of the transaction itself, uh, it's hard to, to point to another one being bigger.
0: How much of the trade is about his production and the impact on the lineup, and how much is on the impact of the clubhouse and the young players for the next several
4: years? Absolutely both. The latter was a critical component for us, but none of that plays if the first part's not satisfied, if the former's not satisfied. And you know, the, those attributes in the person can all be there, but the performance, you know, posting up, performing, they allow those attributes to play so much better. Uh, and so this was something certainly driven by what we anticipate getting, on the field, getting from him on the field. But once that box was checked and you look at what we gave up to acquire him, what pushed us to that territory was absolutely and without question about the lasting impact we expect him to make on a lot of our players.
0: Cliff Floyd had a lasting impact on BJ Upton, on Evan Longoria... Can Nelson Cruz have a lasting impact on Randy Rosareno, Wander Franco, Brandon Lau, Austin Meadows, your core group?
4: Yeah, I would like to think so. I, I think there's a lot that is measured in this game, and certainly we, we go to great lengths to, to measure as much as, as we can. But that doesn't mean that there aren't other things that are of immense value to us. And that's something that, you know, when you talk about free agents and established free agents, that whatever performance they provide you— you know, during the time that they're there, you know, it's, it's great. But oftentimes, you know, like you said, the players you noted—they're they're impressionable. They're younger. They haven't had a lot of the life experiences, um, some of the the challenges, the failures, the ups and downs that someone like Nelson has had. And when someone like Nelson is willing to to share that knowledge, to share those experiences, and and to be an open book and to care about those around him, it just expedites the maturation process for young players, or really any player. And that is something that certainly will extend uh, well beyond. Uh, Nelson's run with us
0: and doesn't sticking his bat in the middle of the lineup and moving some other guys down just take pressure off some of the younger players too
4: you'd like to think so you know I think in the early going it it, it has that feel you know I've never done it I've never stepped in the box and uh, anywhere near that level so I, I can't speak to it but it's certainly something that I would like to think that is certainly felt and by those that have lived it at that level speak to that as well and yeah you, know, you just watch the games and, and you see the lineup and how it shakes out with with Nelly, you know, hitting third, it seems considerably more deep than it did when he wasn't there. So, if it feels that way to me, I'd have to think it'll feel that way to the guys in the lineup and on the bench as well.
0: It does come at a cost. You traded not one but two pitching prospects. How much of that has to do with the fact of the with the depth you have already this year, and also the depth you have coming back for next year, in guys like Yanni Chirinos and Brandon McKay?
4: Yeah, it's a big factor. We've had a lot of arms that seemingly made the most of the downtime in 2020 and being away from the club and not having the games you know you look at like the Tommy Romero's you look at like Dietrich Enns you know coming out of the independent league what he's done we've taken note of that Uh, you look at someone like Tobias Myers we've we've had some players that have pitchers that have ascended and taken their games to another level then you look at some of the guys coming back from injuries that are more established with a major league team as you just noted that does put us in a position where we feel you know you can never have enough pitching. We all know that, I don't want to be careful with how I say it, but uh, felt like we had enough depth on hand where, like I said, for the right player at the right time, it was worth parting with some of it to, to make that move happen.
0: That said, you also did part with Rich Hill. How much of that speaks to Chris Archer and how close he is and just what you also had potentially ready?
4: Yeah, it, it, it's something where we're just looking into our length as we were getting to the end of the month here, and I think there was a potential for things to, to get jammed up and to have more guys than, than we had spots, and be it for with players that don't have the ability to be optioned because of their contractual status and service within the game or younger arms that, candidly, you're trying to break them into the big leagues and give them a little more opportunity to show that in someone like Luis Patino. There wasn't necessarily room for everyone, and rather than let that play out into August, where the the, you know you're past the trade deadline, we we used the time that was here, you know, to see what kind of interest there was in this group and if there was something that allowed uh, one of those arms the opportunity to be placed in a spot where they're competing for a postseason berth somewhere else, uh, and we were able to get something back in return to help alleviate that situation. We were going to consider it, and Rich, understandably, was where that interest was and uh, ultimately we decided to do it and want to thank Rich for everything he provided have an immense amount of respect for him and all he's accomplished and how he goes about his work and uh, certainly wish him nothing but the best and told as much to him directly we had a nice conversation before uh, parting ways
0: less than a week before the deadline you're neck and neck with the Red Sox the division means a lot versus a one game wild card what are the chances you add between now and the deadline do you think
4: yeah I, I think you know, we've we've got days to to go here, and we we better be using them. I don't necessarily know what will come of it. If anything, we might not make another move. We might make four or five moves, you know, (laughs) and it's it's hard to say. I'm very confident that we're going to use every waking moment to to be in the mix and to make sure we're knowledgeable with where the other 29 clubs are, and um, if there's something out there that makes sense, it's on us to be informed about it and be on top of it. So... It did help the, the crews move to make that early. You know, that was the primary target, so to speak, and what we wanted to accomplish this month. We were able to achieve that. And the benefits of doing it with some time left is it allows us to to catch our breath and to continue to, to chip away on other possibilities.
0: Good luck. Your phone already rang twice.
4: That is correct. <laughs> it did. <laughs> and that is the raise,
0: Eric ne- Neander. Uh, Is certainly some really good insight on the trade involving one Nelson Cruz. Now let's move to the minor league level where Ruben Cordinas not only leads the entire Rays organization in home runs, but he's one of the best in all of minor league baseball so far this season. Ruben, thanks very much for a few minutes.
5: Thank you. I really appreciate being on here. I'm excited to talk.
0: Tell me what you think have been the keys to your success to this point. I mean, not only are you hitting home runs, but you're averaging almost an RBI a game so far this year.
5: I would say kind of just building off what I did in 2019. I put up some pretty good production numbers, not the power that I wanted. So kind of just tinkering with things throughout COVID slash off season, I would say, to allow me to have like a good consistent routine heading into every day this year. Uh, to just continually build on that. So
0: give us an idea of what you did during COVID and what types of things you tweaked because everybody was in a different situation. I know you're from California. That's a tough state to be in obviously during the pandemic. Uh, how did you adjust and what types of things did you have access to?
5: So I would say I was pretty lucky. I built a full cage on the side of my house, which was really nice. Was able to buy a machine so my younger brother and I could do that. Um, we had a full garage gym so I kind of didn't really have to go anywhere for anything outside of my job but just tinkering with stuff with my swing uh, with the way I move just trying to mimic big league hitters because they're in the big leagues for a reason they do things really well just tinkering with things so that I could make myself as good as I want to be yeah and I'd say that was kind of just everything that unfolded throughout like COVID offseason,
0: And to back up on one thing you touched on earlier, how how did you build your own cage? I mean, that's not something that the average person is able to do.
5: Uh, and how good are your 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 skills? A lot of people know I like work with my hands like I like building things. So I found someone online who was selling the frame of the cage. So I bought that and then I went on a batting cage website and bought the net and then bought some turf, which was really nice. And then was able to buy the machine and then kind of just my younger brother and I, and my dad, we kind of just took a couple days to build it. And then it was instrumental in this off season because as you know, California, nothing was open.
0: You probably could start running that out in this upcoming off season. Oh, I'm already thinking
5: about it, don't worry. <laughs>
0: so tell me what what hitters you looked at the most and maybe some things that you took, I, I guess a little bit here, a little bit there, that's adapted to your, your right-handed swing.
5: So, you kind of just go for like a player comp. I get a lot of like JD Martinez, Nick Castellanos. So, just watching them, how they use their long arms, long legs, like hitters, we like to call them levers. Um, just seeing how those, how they use those, uh, hitting the ball farther out front, um, getting to a better like landing position or like launch position, as people would say. Just watching how they do that, how they do their routines. Cause I know JD Martinez, he's very vocal about how he does it because he wants people to learn. And I'm very grateful for that. And so just watching him and Nick Castellanos do what they do and just kind of mimicking the little things that I could get better at.
0: So where do you think you're now better? What are the things that, let's say, you're able to do, either pitches you're able to get to, pitch recognition? What are the things that now are different, let's say, than 2019?
5: I would say in 19, I was I had struggle hitting like the inner half pitch, regardless if it was a fastball or an off-speed pitch. But I kind of figured how to hit, like learned how to hit that um, not going to happen every single time. And then I would just say I'm more consistent, more consistently on time to each pitch. Um, I make that a goal of mine. So that way I can give myself the best opportunity to be successful.
0: Tell me, too, how much more comfortable you are now with the organization. For people who don't know, you were traded to the Rays from Cleveland in 19. So you really didn't get a whole lot of time to get to know your teammates. And you know then you spend a year apart because of the pandemic.
5: Yeah, it was definitely weird. I w- so I got traded, I think it was July of 19. So I didn't really have a ton of time before our season ended, was kind of getting closer to guys. And then season ended, COVID hit, and then everything. But this year, definitely a lot more comfortable meeting a lot more people, um, allowing me to have conversations with other people who I want to learn from. It's been really nice to just get comfortable with the guys and not feel like I'm brand new. <laughs>
0: You've split time, too, between Bowling Green, where you started, and then you moved up to AA Montgomery. Who's been beneficial to you on the hitting side, whether it's coaches, players? Who's kind of helped you take your game a, a step further?
5: Brady North and I are on the same page in Bowling Green. We bounce ideas off each other, even still now. I'm really grateful for him and the relationship we have. And then I would just say, like, I really, in Montgomery, I've really learned a lot from Jim Haley and Miles Mastroboni. They've really taught me a lot and just how to like see each game and take an approach to everything
0: have you seen much of a difference between high and double-a in terms of the pitching the type of baseball and if so what
5: i would say it's just in bowling green pitchers rely a lot more on their heaters double-a pitchers are becoming a lot more polished so they can throw more than one pitch in a different count for a strike not anything's crazy different everyone still plays baseball we're still same, playing the same game we love but I would say those would be the differences.
0: Because there are some differences, I know like Jamie Nelson focuses a lot on getting to certain pitches and certain counts. How much of that has helped you so far Adapted to A.
5: Yeah, definitely. Early on in spring training, I was with him a lot, so I learned a lot from that. And then kind of just reintroducing it back this year, but also taking my approach with it and just kind of finding the happy medium with it has been really nice.
0: And overall, how would you say the other parts of your game are progressing? Because Obviously, as you know, the Rays love, you know, that complete ball player that can do it on the defensive end. I know you've, um, it, it looks like from a stolen base uh, percentage, you're doing a lot better than you've done in previous seasons too.
5: Yeah, I would just say it's been nice being up here because we kind of have free reign with kind of just using your baseball intuition and knowing when to steal bases. And I'd say my alpha progression's getting a lot better, getting to where I want to be. Obviously I want to grow in all facets of the game But i think as of right now it's growing in the direction i want it to
0: and i i spoke to nico holsizer um on a previous show just about the fact that you know coming from another organization the rays value winning along with development how much do you think that helps you grow ruben
5: i love to win i hate losing if i can help people in any facet of their game to help us win i'd be more than happy to do it um i love winning That's why I'm excited to be here. I hope you
0: continue to have success in AA Montgomery, continue to climb to the big leagues, and uh, we certainly appreciate some time on This Week in Race Baseball.
5: Absolutely. Thank you, Neil. Thank you for having me on.
0: And that is outfielder Ruben Cardenas, who has 19 homers and a 968 OPS so far this season between High A Bowling Green and his current club, the AA Montgomery Biscuits. Coming up, a Rays Baseball Operations member helps an Olympic team and Marley, Marley Rivera of ESPN on the Nelson Cruz trade. You're listening to This Week in Rays Baseball and the Rays Baseball Network. Welcome back to this week in Rays Baseball. I'm Neil Solans, current and former Rays prospect Shane Boss and Joe Ryan are with Team USA in the Olympics, but the Rays actually have another connection. Simon Rosenbaum of Baseball Operations is tied to Team Israel and joins us. Simon, thanks for a few minutes.
6: Yeah, thanks for your time, Neil. Appreciate it.
0: Tell me how this all came about, first of all, and what it meant to you to be involved in some way, shape, or form.
6: This, for me, started, I think, all the way back in 2013. I was a freshman at Pomona College one of the seniors on the team had played for Team Israel before and I think he said hey Rosenbaum like you might be eligible to play for Team Israel so I think his parents were talking to my parents and we found out that I that I was eligible to play because my dad was born in Israel. And so through a couple of visits to the Israeli embassy in San Francisco, made a you know a fool of ourselves how unprepared we were for that, but eventually was able to get my passport, uh, my Israeli passport, and that allowed me to play on Team Israel. I started, started playing for them in 2014. That was all the way back when we were in the Pool C European Championships, which were in Sylvania and so I played for them in 2014. I think I played for them a few years later in in the Pool B championships and then in 2019 the Rays were unbelievably supportive uh, of me going to play for Team Israel in the European Championships and then because we advanced from there to the Olympic qualifiers which somehow we were able to advance from as well and and qualify for the Olympics so to be a part of that was extremely special I think, One of the things that made it a cool experience was that everybody on the team was was there for their own reasons. And for me, you know, it's meaningful, not not just because of the the competition and and the chance to win a gold medal. I'm a super competitive person. I'm not taking away from that at all. But my grandfather was born in Germany in the early 1930s. And as a German Jew, you can imagine that that was not a pleasant Mm -hmm. experience. He was kicked out of his home uh, with his mother and sister. As part of the Holocaust and so you know, being able to represent Israel, the country that was able to give him a home and in a stage like the Olympics. um, An event that celebrates everything that the Holocaust wasn't that is a incredibly surreal experience for me and so. To have to to wear Israel on my chest and to know that or at least in my head I'm honoring my grandfather in, in that way in some small way um, is truly truly meaningful and difficult to put into words
0: so when did you start to you started working for the race what year and when did you start to have conversations about hey there's an opportunity for me and I'd like to still do this if possible and how'd that come about
6: I started working for the race in 2017 I think there was a tournament that year. Yeah, in 2017 and I was not able to go to to that one. I was doing advanced scouting as an intern and that's a really heavy day-to-day job. Also there were no Olympics on the line back in 2017, so it was it was a no-brainer, you know, that that work came first there. Once we learned about the opportunity in 2019 that it's an Olympic qualifying year and as slim as the chances were something special could happen, I sort of just brought it up on a whim to Peter Bendix, my boss, and I said, "Hey, this is going to sound really weird, but I have a chance to maybe play for Team Israel uh as as we try and qualify for the Olympics." And he said, "Well, nobody has asked about this kind of thing before, but he was incredibly supportive. I know that he talked to Eric about it. Eric was incredibly supportive. All of 2019 our coaches, you know, as I as I traveled around to the minor leagues, I fortunately was able to work at a baseball field every single day. And so our coaches everywhere were tremendous about going out of their way to help me prepare. Mitch Lukovic was, you know, we were in Montgomery together and he's like, Simon, what, why aren't you out there? Like, why aren't you taking ground balls? And, I'm not trying to get in the way. Like these are pro athletes. This is their career. I'm not trying to get in the way of that, but he was incredibly supportive. He's like, you're, you got to take infield. You got to get ready. Like you're representing the Rays now in addition to your country and you can't make a fool out of us. (laughs) So, uh, so he really pushed me. And, and again, like, I can't say enough about everybody from in the office to on the field, Jimmy Mo hitting me ground balls, Warner Rinconis doing, you know, helping me out with some, some hitting drills. So it, so I, yeah, I can't say enough about how supportive they've been throughout this entire process.
0: So with the Olympics beginning, they had what, a pool of players that they brought to their preparation and, and they took a group of those? How did they, all that work? Because I also thought saw you listed, I thought it was a player coach at one point.
6: It's been kind of a whirlwind with getting this all together. I think playing-wise, while I was on the team in 2019, with the Olympics happening and, and that being the... The next tournament in play, we were able to get better players on the team. Um, I realized that that the bar of baseball player that I set, a former division three player who hasn't played competitively in five years, is uh, it's not the highest bar to clear. And guys like Scott Burcham, who's in AAA with the Rockies, and Ian Kinsley, Kinsler, who goes without saying longtime big leaguer, uh, both of those guys clear that bar. And so unfortunately, I wasn't able to, to crack the roster, which is disappointing, but being realistic with myself, also understandable. For a while, it was looking like I was going to be able to go as a staff member with the COVID situation in Japan and how cautious they are taking everything with all the restrictions that there were both on, you know, what I would be able to do and how many people from each delegation would be able to come. Um, it just didn't, just, just wasn't in the cards. So I'll be watching from poor Charlotte. <laughs>
3: I
0: would imagine, though, there's got to be a tremendous level of pride to be able to to just watch and know that you were a part of this in some way, shape, or form.
6: Of course, of course. You're you're right. I think that's that's the good way to look at it. No matter how disappointing it is not to be there, that's not, you know, I, I wouldn't define myself as an Olympian. That's not, you know, where my self-worth is, you know, if I was on the roster or not. The experiences of, you know, from 2014 and then especially 2019 going on the run to finish and, and actually clinch that Olympic berth is an experience that nobody will ever be able to take away from me. Those, those memories will last a lifetime of going to Blagoevgrad, of Grad Bulgaria, where it started playing on a field on the, on a hillside to, you know, playing in Italy, getting to clinch that berth with my teammates, um, how meaningful that was. And those are, those are things that are going to stick with me for the rest of my life for sure.
0: And that's Simon Rosenbaum of Rays Baseball Operations, and we congratulate him on helping Team Israel get to the Olympics. Let's turn back to the field for the Rays. Big week ahead, of course, with the Yankees and Red Sox at home. Marley Rivera will be calling three games on the ESPN Family of Networks, and Marley, really good to catch up with you.
2: Thank you for having me, Niels. Just
0: so great to be on with you. Tell me um, first your take on the Rays getting Nelson Cruz and what it means in the division race.
2: Yeah, I have to tell you, Neil, and you, know, you and I have known each other for a long time, and we've been a long time in the AL East. And the moment that the terrible news of Tyler Glasnow's injury came out, you know, at that moment, I said, oh, no, the Rays are done. <laughs> and, and it's really um, unfortunate when you see just such great, incredible players uh, get injured and y- you start thinking. And then you remind yourself of what the Rays can do. And uh, and it's just all these little movements that are just so key, right? Like there's a trait of Willie Adamas, but now you acquire someone like Nelson Cruz. Like it's just this guy is one of the great clubhouse leaders in Major League Baseball, and not only that, just one of the great professionals in the game, Neil. And, and I have never dealt with another player who is more professional and more committed to his craft than Nelson Cruz. And you've dealt with so many different players over the years and the impact that he can
0: have on a young group. You're talking about Randy Rosarena, who's technically still a rookie, Wander Franco, Taylor Walls, even Brandon Lau and Austin Meadows. People forget they've only had one,
2: two seasons in the big league apiece. Peace. Exactly. And one of the things that, and, and I'm not going to go here in an advanced stats, you know, rant, you know, against it or pro, right? Like I'm, I'm very, very good with that advanced metrics and saber metrics and so on. But one of the things that we cannot quantify ever is that veterans' presence and what it means, right, to all these guys, particularly the Latino players. And like you said, I'm so glad that you mentioned guys like Austin Meadows and so on, because everyone is going to benefit from the presence of Nelson Cruz. But number one will be people like Randy Orozarena, who obviously has some language limitations, right? And and we're not saying that the, that the Rays are not trying, right, to reach out. Of course, Kevin Cash does. And, you know, and I know all the work, you know, that your third base coach has done. But having that presence inside the clubhouse is going to be so key, because Nelson Cruz makes every player around him better. He is the same thing. It's like Albert Pujols. They are these guys, Miguel Cabrera, who the guys love being around them because their work ethic is so incredible and their example, the example they set for young players, particularly for young Latin players, is going to be really special to watch. And,
0: you know, I compared it to in 2008, the Rays had Cliff Lloyd in their clubhouse. And the impact that he had on Vijay Upton and Evan Longoria for years thereafter, they always spoke about
2: that. This isn't only a move for now. It's a way to impact players for years to come, right? Absolutely. And, of course, we are talking about a Nelson Cruz, you know, whose talents are, you know, diminished. Of course, he's right now 41 years old. So we are not talking about that this is the true Nelson boomstick that we know, but we know how much of a threat he is in any lineup, right? So we don't know how long he's going to stay with the with the Tampa Bay Rays, hopefully for for longer time than 2021. But at the same time, that impact is it's almost like eternal. You can't even quantify it. Like there are guys today in the Baltimore Orioles, they speak about how influential, nelson cruz was for them and he spent like half a season there neil
0: and and obviously this is an important half a season for a race team that already has been to the world series so they're already playoff tested which certainly helps okay in this division you look at toronto they have robbie ray and hunjin ryu and the red sox are getting chris sale and you got eduardo rodriguez and on there are a lot of lefties in this division and that's where nelson cruz is at his best and that would seem to be a major impact in terms of the game playing
2: no absolutely and One of the things I was just speaking to Alex Cora recently, and he described the ALEs, actually the American League entirely, Neil, as a group of imperfect teams. And when you have imperfect teams, when you do acquisitions that can be so significant, right, like certain teams are doing really significant acquisitions at this point that can make that kind of impact. To this, you know, we're still, you know, just so close to the the trade deadline. We don't know what else is going to happen. But this is really one of the most significant moves that I can see in terms of impacting not only a lineup, but also a clubhouse. So how does this impact
0: the other teams, the Yankees and the Red Sox? What what does this mean?
2: (laughs) Well, the... (laughs) The moment I heard about uh about the race acquiring Nelson Cruz, I had a big smile on my face because I said to myself, the Yankees better uh get their act together because one of the things that Nelson Cruz can do is hit hit very, very well of Yankees pitching. And we know that Blue Jays pitching is a little suspect. We know what is happening right now with the Red Sox and they're getting things together, and we know where the Baltimore Orioles stand, right? And and where their season is. Nelson Cruz, that power bat, in a in a division that a lot of power bats have not performed as they should, and I'm and I'm mostly referring to the New York Yankees of course you know particularly to people like Giancarlo Stanton or someone like Luke Voigt obviously he's injured right now but being the home run leader last year even you know even someone like DJ LeMahieu right they're not all performing hitting the way they can you add a hitter like Nelson Cruz and now we stop that conversation that the race can't hit you can't tell me that anymore
0: and the race have been a top 10 offense this year in all of major league baseball so so this just adds to it Do you think this leads Boston or New York to make
2: any sort of move to help their clubs here in this race? They have to do pitching moves. and like they, It's definitely for the Yankees. The Yankees need a little bit of and help because we know they've got a couple of injuries, right? They've lost some pitchers, particularly losing Darren O'Day was a big hit for the Yankees. And they're going to, to need pitching now and guys that maybe can have a different approach against guys like Nelson Cruz, right? We're not done yet. We're going to see, right, what happens in the next week or so. But at the same time, it absolutely impacts the approach, the rotations that you're going to have. I am so looking forward, Neil, to what we see this coming, week in terms of what the Yankees do with that rotation to approach a Nelson Cruz. And, and it'll be interesting to watch, but at the same time, and we do have to be careful, right. In hyperbole, both, both teams, you know, anyone, in the ALEs knows Nelson Cruz really, really well, right. This is a, this is a, a player that they faced for a really long time. So it's not like they don't have stats, you know, and numbers on him and approach on him. But the most important thing with Nelson is that you're going to have to change your game plan. That's a bat that changes a game plan. Where does Boston
0: make an addition if anywhere
2: they have you know what i keep looking at it and i look at that infield right and it's so talented and they have just so much talent and they can hit but then At times, Boston doesn't have a very strong bench. And obviously, they need some more support, right, in left-handed hitting. So you think about that, but then you look at the bullpen and you look like they really, really need some help. We certainly know what Matt Barnes has done. We know what that bullpen can do at times. But Boston has to seek out bullpen help. But then again, Neil, who doesn't? I think the only team in the ALEs that does not need bullpen help is is the Tampa Bay Rays. And you
0: go from what 60 to 162 games you're also going to see and I know the Red Sox are getting Chris sale back but they basically have used the same five starting pitchers all year is there a point where the Red Sox are concerned that guys wear out and don't have gas in the tank the last two months.
2: It has to be, Neil. And it is not only the Red Sox, it's also the Yankees, right? That is a problem. We don't know what Jamison Tayon can give them. Obviously, they are expecting Luis Severino back. They maybe will expect Corey Kluber at some point this season, but that is a really, really big question mark. But they do have a bunch of pitchers that don't, you know, that are approaching innings limits. And that's going to be really interesting to watch. And that is going to make a significant impact on all these trade deadline, you know, acquisitions.
0: Marley, great stuff. Look forward to seeing you at the ballpark all week here at Tropicana Field next week.
2: Oh, Neil, just so looking forward to it, and I'm very glad. I've had so many rain delays lately that I can't wait to be in a dome.
0: (laughs) And that's Marley Rivera of ESPN. Thanks to her and all our guests. Neil Solon saying this is This Week in Race Baseball, coming up the pregame show next on the Race Baseball Network.